Amen. Thank you for the mic. Appreciate that. Um, I hope you're not in a hurry to go home tonight. Because the blood may not lose its power, but our AC did. So Katie and I are not in a hurry to go home. (laughs) It's cool in here. We like it. And so if at some point you feel like you have to go, I get it. Um, But I'm waiting until the sun goes down. So you don't have to stay that long. I'll just preach to my wife. Nah, it's all good. All good. God's been good to us, and um, we'll uh, try to survive the heat tonight, and I don't know if they'll get it done by the weekend or not. So if you don't see us on Sunday, because the heat was unbearable, and we both got cantankerous, and I don't know what happened after that. Hey, uh, how many of you ever had this conversation with your teenager. That's not fair. Well, son, life's not fair. Life's not fair. And that, my friend, is true. That is so incredibly true. Life is not fair. It just, it just isn't. I took a few headlines from what was called the uh, Injustice Line website. And um, here they are. Guilty federal agents frame citizens. That's not fair. Young man framed, lawyer does nothing. That's not fair. Magistrate gets back at old enemy, using your power for vengeance. That's not fair. Community courts, property owners granted dictatorial power over the poor. That's not fair. Woman wrongly accused of shoplifting. That's not fair. Whistleblower expelled by college. That's not fair. Officials mistreat handicapped man. Help me here. That's not fair. Prosecutor misleads court again. That's not fair. Life's not fair. On a different website, I found this story. It read, Earprint landed innocent man in jail for murder. It was the true story of a man named Mark Dalliger. In 1998, Mark Dalliger was convicted of killing a 94-year-old woman in England. The key testimony was an expert witness who stated that the intruder had pressed his ear against the glass window of the woman's house, listening quietly 
before slipping into the room to murder her. The earprints matched those of Mr. Dallager, said Cornelius Vanderloot. In fact, he was, quote, absolutely convinced, end quote, of the match. The trial made headlines around the world. It never reached my desk, but they said headlines reached around the world because it wasn't the first time that earprints had been used to convict a killer. Dallager was sentenced to life behind bars in one of England's most notorious prisons. But it turns out that the evidence against Dallager was flawed. A DNA profile obtained from the earprint proved it didn't belong to Dallager at all. Instead, a new suspect was implicated, and Dallager was set free in January of 2004. A British newspaper quoted Dallager as saying, I've waited seven years for this day. I've spent six of those years in prison protesting my innocence to deaf ears. The last nine months has been a terrible ordeal, all as a result of the prosecution's reliance on discredited expert evidence. This man was wrongly convicted, locked up in, in a notorious prison for six years, and I think you would agree with me tonight, that's not fair. Now, as we come to the end of the preacher's third chapter, if you haven't turned there, book of Ecclesiastes, book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, he's wrestling with the issue of how a loving, just, and powerful God can permit life's injustices to stand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or answer out loud, but how many of us have not wrestled with those same things? How could God let that stand? How could God just let that go? How, How could God not write that? How could God not deal with that how could God not turn that around and 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 put it in its rightful place we've all wrestled with that look at verse 16 Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment that wickedness was there and the place of righteousness that iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in mine heart, 
concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth. Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works. For that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? So the first thing that Solomon addresses in this passage is the inequity of justice. The wicked prospering in their sin and the righteous suffering in their integrity was something that really, really bothered Solomon. And how many times have we seen what appears to be um, an injustice as the rich and famous, if you will, use their money to oil the wheels of justice, making them turn in their favor, while the poor and unknown often find themselves at the mercy of an overburdened court. The problem here is that even the place of justice is unjust. The very place where we most expect and most need to receive justice turns out to be a place of unfairness. As I've mauled that over in my mind today, I, I don't mean to get political today, but I, I keep thinking of the, uh, uh, the Empire guy there in, uh, in Chicago and everything that's going on there. And he's got all kinds of money. And I mean, the, the, they had the goods on the guy. And I mean, he walks away with a little slap on the wrist. What's the guy's name? Jesse Smollett? Is that, is that the guy's name? And I've, I've just thought about that all day. I just thought about it again. When, it's, when I said the very place where we most expect and most need to receive justice turns out to be the place of unfairness. And there has been a lot of unfairness revealed in that situation. And from what I understand today, the the courts just handed them a, a big blow, and so it seems like there's going to be more unfairness 
revealed in that situation. So in a place where you would where we most would, would need and expect to have justice, talking about our legal system, there's unfairness. And, and that bothered Solomon a lot. I mean, even in America, where the scales of justice are supposed to be impartial, we find corruption and frequent mismanagement of cases. A report by the Associated Press cited statistics from the Bureau of Justice which showed that one out of every 75 men in the United States is either in jail or in prison. One out of every 75 men in the United States is either in jail or in prison. Now that's a statistical fact. Now I'm going to offer you my pastoral opinion. I would think that the odds are, are pretty good that a number of those men are incarcerated and shouldn't be. But if the truth were known, there are probably as many or more who aren't in jail or prison who should be. Solomon's frustration is not simply that injustice is done, but another part of his frustration is that it, it goes unpunished. According to Martin Luther, he is not complaining because there is wickedness in the place of justice. And I, po- I suppose that would be because he understood that all men are sinners and there's not going to be a perfect place. So Martin Luther's opinion was is that he was not complaining because there was wickedness in the place of justice, but because the wickedness in the place of justice cannot be corrected. When the halls of justice become corridors of corruption, where can the righteous be found? Now I want you to keep your place here. Are you with me tonight? I want you to keep your place here in Ecclesiastes 3, mark it. And I want you to go with me to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Because the psalmist had some of these same struggles. Preach from this chapter on a, a couple of different occasions. And he struggles with what appeared to be injustice as he observed the lives of the wicked, the lives of those who live without God, who give no uh, acknowledgement of God, just wicked people. And here are just uh, some of the things that he mentions. For example, in verse 3, the, the wicked seem to have, there seems to be uh, no lack of, uh, or, or, or a lack of poverty among the wicked. Look at verse 3, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 7, their eyes 
stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. And how many of us tonight have, have not often thought that? You know, we, we practice good stewardship, and we give, and we're generous, and, and, and then you, you look at, at whoever, and they don't go to church, and they don't acknowledge God, and, and it just seems like they have more than they know what to do with. And it's just not fair. It's unjust. Can I get a witness right there? Verse 4. No suffering in death, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Life's not fair. It seems like their life is, is one of ease. Look at verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. It seems like they cruise through life without any issues at all. No pushback, just, just cruising. Here I am. I'm going to go home to a house that's going to be 90 degrees and no AC. All the wicked sinners around me, they're going to be sleeping in the cool tonight. Come on, somebody help me. That's not fair. Look at verse 6. Unpunished pride and corruption. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a, as a garment. They, like they wear their pride with pride. Verse 8. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. They have no respect for God. They have no respect for godliness or holiness or righteousness. And, and they take the name of the Lord in vain. And they curse God. And they blaspheme God. And, and life's just not fair. And he sums it up in verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So again, we're talking about the inequity of, of justice. And in contrast to the ungodly, you have the righteous, who unfortunately seem to be all too familiar with things like poverty. It seems as though, and I don't know about you, but I've wrestled with this a lot over the years. It seems as though the most righteous have to suffer the most agonizing, painful deaths. I don't get that. Like the wicked, they just, they just ease on out into, and we know about what happens afterward and all of that, but at the, at the face of it, you, I mean, you look at somebody who served God their whole life, and they die the most agonizing, painful Deaths. It's not fair. It's like one thing coming against them right after another. They do their best to be humble and live godly, and in the end, it seems as though it's for naught. Look at verse 13. 
I've cleansed my hands and my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. So here's the psalmist and he's looking at the wicked and he's looking at the inequity of justice and and he's looking at how proud they are and how boastful they are and how rich they are and how carefree they are and how healthy they are. And, and, and then he looks at the, the, the godly and, and everything seems to be just the opposite. And he comes to this conclusion. He said, why am I living this way? Why am I serving God? Why am I giving to God? Why am I caring about God? Why am I trying to live holy and trying to live godly and trying to live righteously and trying to be faithful to my church and trying to be faithful to my family and try to serve God? Why am I doing it? That's where he is. And listen, church, it's easy for us to get there. Come on, it's easy for us to get there. I'm telling you, life just doesn't seem fair sometimes. But before we give up all hope, let's consider a second thing real quick tonight, the certainty of judgment. Because he goes on, the psalmist goes on, look at verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was just too painful for me. I couldn't take it. Couldn't deal with it. It was overwhelming. And the more I thought about it, the more angry I got, and the more resentful I got, and the more discouraged I got. Until, look at verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought low into desolation? As in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakeneth, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. So he said, then I went to church on a Wednesday night in July. And the preacher reminded me that all is not as it appears to be. That they will meet a not so pleasant end. And he's not boasting here. Okay, understand it. We don't need to boast in the perishing of the wicked. That's not the point here. The point is to understand that one day God's going to make everything right. One day God's going God's to equal it out. One day, go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. One day, one day, the wicked, listen, the wicked will have their day in court. And again, that's not boasting. That's reality. That's the certainty of judgment. Look at verse 17, Ecclesiastes 3. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose, 
and for every work. We stand around getting angry about the fact that the wicked are getting away with it. Solomon lets us know that in the end, no one gets away with it. Paul Harvey tells the story of a prisoner by the name of Gary Tyndall. He was being tried in a California courtroom for robbery. And he got permission from Judge Armando Rodriguez to go to the restroom. And while the door was being guarded, Mr. Tyndall climbed up onto the plumbing and he opened up a a panel in the ceiling to escape. And he headed south down a, a crawl space. And he had crawled about 30 feet when the ceiling panels gave way. And he dropped to the floor right back into Judge Rodriguez's courtroom. (laughs) Just remember, when it seems as though the unjust are going to escape judgment, it will only be a short while until they find themselves before the judge. Capital J. Sooner or later, the wheels of God's righteousness will right every wrong. Balance every scale and correct every injustice in the world. Longfellow said it well when he said, Though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness he grinds all. All is right. The just as well as the unjust. The godly as well as the ungodly. The saved as well as the unsaved will stand in judgment. So let's not get all hallelujah about the wicked standing in judgment because we will too. For that reason, it behooves us to be careful about what we think and what we say concerning what appears to be the unjust actions of God. Because we're going to give an account for every word that we speak. So let's not be quick to judge God or blame God for what appears to be an injustice. Because we're going to give an account for that. And then Solomon moves to the next subject here. I want to read verses 18 through 21 again. He talks about the reality of death. Are you still with me? All right, we're hustling here. Verse 17, or verse 18. I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. 
even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. All go unto one place. All are of the dust. And all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Now listen. Don't, don't use Solomon's words here. They are not to be construed as meaning that there is no difference between men and animals. Okay, that's not the point here. The point is not, well, we're just all animals. We just, when we die, we die. It's over. That's all there is to it. Me and Fido, we just, we're dead. We're gone. That's, that's not the point that he's making here. The point that Solomon is making is that both men and animals die and their bodies return to dust. Okay? That's the point that he's making. But we know for men that death is not the end. We know the fact still remains that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the what, church? The judgment. So, though... The end of Fido is when you put him in a bag and bury him in the ground. That's it. He's done. He's over. Not so with us. We will die. But then there's a judgment. And it is a fearful thing. Fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. And in verse 22, we'll be done. Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him. In the end, here's what Solomon says. Listen, life goes on. Life goes on. With all its injustice and with all its unfairness, Life goes on. So what should we do when we feel we've been wronged? When we feel that God's not been fair? When we feel that God has treated us differently than he's treated those around us how should we respond to that should we grow bitter should we get angry should we complain to anyone who will listen maybe we should go on a social media rant Should we brood over it until it has totally consumed us and poisoned us 
to the point that we can't even smile when we come to God's house. We can't even sing when we come to God's house. We can't even treat people who, who speak to us kindly and respectfully. We can't even treat them with decency and respect. Poisoned us to the point that we've poisoned every place that we go with our stinky attitude. That's not the answer. It's not the response of a, of a Christian. We just need to give it to the Lord and get on with our life. Come on. Life goes on. And one day the answers we're seeking we may get or we may not. I've already preached. I'm going to preach it again. One day God's going to make it all right. Let me say it again. Life isn't fair. It's not. Never has been. And it never will be. But justice is coming. Whether that's today or tomorrow, or in a thousand lifetimes. It is as certain as death. Justice is coming. So I'll say this and I'll close. Living in bitterness is not worth the trouble. While joy is worth any price.